Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And back for his regular visit as our Rockets expert, Frank. Go subscribe to his Rockets Chop Shop YouTube channel if you haven't already. And Frank, is it my imagination or is there a noticeable difference when John Lucas is the Rockets head coach? Yeah, I mean, it's not your imagination. I've came to the same conclusion. It feels like the team plays harder when he's the coach. And um, I don't know if you listened to the postgame conference. I've been making some remarks that I think all of us were just happy to hear somebody from the coaching uh, um, staff of, of, of Coach Silas talk about accountability. I mean, multiple things he dropped. He he dropped the gem about Jabari um, feeling like because the other guys were out, Jabari felt like he needed to hit every shot and take every shot. And he said he actually sat him down for that to just calm him down and let him know, no, we're going to play as a team. You don't need to go into hero mode. And then uh, my favorite one is the KJ Martin, a guy that is a great role player, a guy that's a great team guy, but he is not above being uh, held accountable for um, even him when he has a bad play. And to me, that I, and I think the guys look at KJ as a leader on the team. He speaks as a leader. Seems like they really respect him as a player. And for and this is an old tactic that I used to, you know, we used to hear about Popovich doing with Tim Duncan, where one of the guys you respect, you actually really get on them really, really hard so you can set the tone for the team. And I think that um, I love that, man, because you've seen how it, he responded in the second half of that game, uh, basically uh, helping us win down the stretch and just playing hard. and. My God, I would love to see that with Jalen and 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 Kevin Porter Jr. If um, you know, if they were ever to make Lucas, and you know, at some point in the future, the uh, an interim coach or something like that, I think the team sorely needs that. KJ and I got into it. Lucas said because he missed his rotation and got two early fouls. I kept him out. One of the things I wanted them to know is they got to play hard. I'm not going to reward you for not playing. It feels like when he's saying that, that he's saying that maybe they don't realize that because the other coach is not telling him that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I do pick up on some of those little... He's such a stark contrast to Coach Silas in their approach, it seems, to coaching. Like, he talks about... It's like he goes above and beyond to emphasize certain aspects of accountability, responsibility. We think we did this. We think we did that. We haven't earned anything. There's nobody that's above the team. Um, uh, they're not young guys. It's like he's almost <laughs> going back and forth in a long way with with what some of the stuff that we hear normally from the press conferences. And um, and if people, if you can't feel the difference from that uh, just by watching how the players respond, watching just the energy. I mean, he was he got on Bruno Fernando for uh, uh, getting a little bit o- overly aggressive with some of the calls. I think he actually went and sat Bruno down because Bruno was yelling and cussing and getting mad. And he basically told him to calm down because he was about to get a technical. So he sat him down. Um, There's nobody that's above the law. There's nobody above the law. I mean, even some of the quotes uh, from Jabari when before we played Milwaukee and beat them, which is the first game that uh, that we saw him coach. uh, I, I don't know if you remember this. He told Jabari that this time, are you gonna uh, g- get your shoe to give to Giannis so he could sign it for you? basically challenge him like stop being a fan you're in the NBA just like he is and go play him like I love that stuff that's those are buttons that you have to push every every you know every player doesn't respond to positive reinforcement 
Sometimes they need to be challenged. Sometimes you need to challenge uh, their, their ego and their pride. Sometimes you need to make them feel small so they can be humbled. And it's just different things for different guys. And I feel like um, Coach Lucas or coaches like him that really understand how, what the, makes a player tick, because he was a player himself, um, especially for young teams. I feel like that is something that we need. I assume he's saying a lot of this stuff even when he's not the head coach. But I just thought it's interesting when I watch the team because it feels like they just play harder. And then there's also a joy to when he's playing instead of or when he's coaching instead of, you know, when Silas is. Co- I don't know. It just feels like it. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely. They they just look happier. I'm, I mean, even the post game with KJ and um, and uh, the and Vanessa. All the guys, they just seem, I don't know. I don't want to like making these types of inferences just from the sidelines, but I think everybody sees it. It seems like there's something there. I mean, the the Milwaukee game, they, they look like they just won the Little League championship after that game where they were hugging Lucas and jumping on him and they were all hugging each other. I just don't see that. And there are a lot of times in um, in the, one of the most impressive things I did see during the, the that game was the engagement of the other coaches during the timeout and how they were empowered to really be active. Even the play that we ran where Jayshon Tate inbounds it for KJ to score um, the kind of the go-ahead points there. Um, Abdel Fattah is the one that drew that up. So it's it's just a different vibe. A lot of times when it's, you know, Steven Silas and everybody's just sitting there just looking. Um, so I don't know what the dynamic is there. Why aren't they the coaches more engaged? in a regular game, why the team isn't more fired up, why aren't guys, you know, being sat down and told what to do. Um, it just seems like there's a kind of a weird dynamic going on uh, within the coaching staff. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick before we get into big picture, I don't want to go too much into this, but Jayshon Tate is on this minutes restriction. And I, I don't know how long it's been now, but Jayshon Tate goes out there and he runs around like a maniac for about 20 minutes or something like that. And I swear, he's probably putting more miles on his body than most of these guys are getting in 40 minutes a game. And I, I just kind of wondering, like, when, when do you think this minutes restriction ends? Because he looks fine. I don't know what, I don't know what the <laughs> trainers are talking about because the guy looks perfectly healthy. And I, I understand they're being sort of careful with Jay Sean Tate, but I mean, there's what, 35, 40 games left in the season. We're coming up on the all-star break. He's going to get a few days off there. I mean, you're not playing for anything. Why not just let him go out there and do what he does and, you know, play 30 minutes? Because obviously they need this guy. Well, there you have to weigh out the cost of him getting re-injured. And I'm sure, you know, with these things, the player also has to input on it. Um, Injuries like he has where he's been out for that long, um, a lot of the times it's not really – just the minutes and when you're playing is also the the toll that you take on afterwards in the recovery. So I think if if just from an assumption of a medical from a medical standpoint, it would be more of a, a collective toll that they're trying to reduce rather than individual bursts. I'm sure he could play 30 minutes, but um, you you kind of want to let that healing process continue on and gradually put a burden on that ankle. Um, so I, I think they're probably doing it right if they can just. Get him doing this into all star into all star break. I think coming back on the back end, he should be uh, pretty good to go. Uh, and I'm hoping with all the other injuries, with Jalen's injury now, Kevin Porter's injury is a, a bit concerning for me um, because they they haven't even given a timetable of when he can start touching a basketball. So that's usually not good. Um, 
And I know people may have certain feelings about him, but honestly, I need him to play because I need to collect data points on how he fits on this roster because assuming that we're not going to move on from him anytime soon. So um, I would like to see how he fits in with certain lineups and fits in with certain guys. So him being out just delays that process, which I don't like. So He seems to get injured a lot too, Frank. Yeah, that is becoming a trend with him uh, over the past few years in those lower body injuries. So that is definitely something to look out for. Availability, as I always say, it's a skill and it's important. Um, We need to talk some big picture stuff. Jabari shooting is what I want to get into. But first, quick reminder to support the show by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. And if you want to just listen to us in your car while you exercise or grocery shopping, find us on your favorite podcast app. If you haven't watched it by now, look for our exclusive with D'Amico Ryan's teammate from his Texans days, David Anderson. You'll want to hear his thoughts on the new head coach for the Houston Texans. And uh, Frank, I I stirred up a few fans when I expressed concern about Jabari shooting the other night, 47 games into his career. He's shooting 38.7% from the field, 30% from three. And I understand it's his rookie season. He's only 19, blah, 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 blah. And yes, I know his coaching staff and his guards are, are issues with him getting shots, but Frank, his guards in college weren't good either, and it's more than 47 games, more like 55 if you count the preseason and summer league issues. He's missed tons of wide-open, uncontested threes and mid-range shots, and, you know, they're never going to be perfect in the NBA. You go, well, you know, if he was set up and, yeah, ran it through him and blah, 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 but it's the NBA. You get your shots. Austin Rivers talked about this on his podcast the other day. You just got to be ready because unless you're a superstar – Everybody else, you get a certain amount of shots and you better hit them. And this is the skill, Frank, that made him a top three pick. That that also is why I'm concerned. I, I don't know if I'm like concerned about just the shooting in a vacuum because I think coming out the draft, um, every shooting coach and respected shooting guru that broke down Jabari's shooting form and everything said he's a pure shooter. So I'm going to rely on that. So it has to be something else whether it's mental or it's something physical or whatever it is, it is something that is affecting his shooting. And um, the fact that it's as bad as it is tells you it's not just like he's a bad shooter. This is definitely like, what the heck is going on? So what I would get concerned if this is something that is an ongoing issue. I think the Rockets probably need to invest a little bit more resources into their shooting as a team because we're all shooting poorly across the board, the entire team. Um, and, uh, you know, get maybe getting a shooting coach on their roster would be helpful to be able to help some of these young guys. You have so many young players. Um, and, and you know, it seems like Jabari's form is almost different too. So I'm not sure what bad habits he's picked up uh, since he's been here. But I can't, you know, there's no excuse for his shooting. Um, it is what it is. Um, you know, some of the other stuff that I'm actually encouraged by is his progression as a playmaker, his progression, being able to get down into the rim and make a play for himself is something that I feel is ahead of the curve for where we expected him to be. And I'm encouraged by that. And obviously we know the defense, though it looks pretty, he hasn't been a great defender. Um, he's a great on ball defender, but as a team defender, I was a bit surprised at how bad he is um, in the in the construct of an entire team. Uh, because he seems to get lost, but he's 19. And I guess maybe we put too much on him. But what I do like is some of the quotes you hear him saying about he, you know, he keeps working at it. Um, he wants to be all defensive team. He seems really focused on that end of, of the court. 
So I think all that stuff will come come around. A lot of his issues to me personally are based on his physique is our strength based. And that's for a lot of the defensive issues are strength based and some of the players he has to guard and his uh, ability to get quality shots that aren't threes. The flash that he had from November till December where he was shooting like 50% from the mid range. I think at some point that's going to be his offense is going to be in the mid post, high post uh, where he's able to post up smaller players um, or even players, his height. He just has a high release. And to me, that's really what's exciting about him. The three-pointers are going to be the icing on the cake. I think this summer when he gets in the gym, puts on a little bit more muscle, that shot is, is not going to be a fadeaway anymore. It's going to be a more balanced shot, so he should be able to hit it. I think he'll be fine in general. Um, he seems like he's made up, the, made up of the right mental makeup to be able to get out of this. Um, you know, guys like Jalen, you know, looking at some of his shooting slumps, uh, mixed in with some of the lack of effort stuff, that does concern me. Because I could deal with, okay, a guy shooting bad. Like, Jabari's 19. If he does this two more years, okay, well, I'd be like, man, we really missed out on that. But when you're not known as a defender and you're playing with poor effort and you are <laughs> you go through shooting slumps, then you're like, okay, what do you bring to the table? I, I was pleased with how Jalen came out of the, the, the slump that he was in before he got hurt with his effort, even though his shooting was still up and down. Um, but Jabari, I'm not worried about that because I know he's going to bring it every night. And at some point, it'll it'll kick in for him. Yeah, I was buying a little bit the injury stuff earlier in the season, but then he came out of it. He looked good for 11 games, but then he goes right back into it. And we didn't see, you know, anything on him that looks like, oh, he's dealing with this or that. And the other thing, you know, I was expecting, obviously I'm expecting him to struggle a little bit from the NBA three-point range because it is different. It is a little bit longer. And when I watched him in college, he wasn't taking a lot of NBA. You know, this wasn't Steph Curry in college. He was taking these NBA three-pointers but my concern is just that I thought he would just be knocked down from the you know these free throw elbow extended type jump shots other places that are a little bit closer to the basket and and I guess that's the real surprise for me and you know part of being a really good NBA shooter is the ability to get out of a slump really fast and self-correct and you can't always rely on shooting coaches and all that you know you've got to do that yourself and 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 you've got to be mentally able to get yourself out of slumps and that's the type of stuff that I want to see from. Again, I know that he's 19, but yeah, I was just you know, about this, to say that. <laughs> this is, again, I want to say this, you know, a second time. This is somebody that is shooting 30% from three and he's been bad from two. And it's not like he gets you some, it's not like he gets easy buckets, Frank. This is going to be something that he's going to have to work on. How do I get easy buckets when I'm not a good player around the basket and I can't put, put it on the floor occasionally? and get that easy layup or dunk. He, he's done it a couple of times, but, you know, nowhere nowhere near consistently, and that's going to take real time. It's better than where we thought it was going to be. Um, I think everything you said is true, but he's not a pro yet. And you have to also, like all the stuff getting out the slump, somebody has to teach him that. Um, you know, how do you get out of slump? I'm sure there is a method to it, and it involves probably, if you're not a creator, um, some intention from the coaching staff and your teammates to get you out of the slump. I think that's been missing. You also have to factor in the fact that the Rockets, their resources aren't really geared towards some of these things that we're asking a 19-year-old to do. What you said is perfectly logical and that makes sense, but also having maybe veterans on the roster to help them, hey, I've been in a slump before, let's get you doing this, let's do that, do this, or a coach that's, hey, Jabari, we know you're in a slump, we're going to run a couple, of, you know, we're going to be intentional about it. The Rockets aren't intentional about anything. So it's every man for himself. 
Um, everybody's trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Uh, everybody's figuring out their own way of how the team should run. And I think it's reflecting with some of the issues. I mean, these, he's literally 19. Um, even some of the, his, the, I'm thinking of players that we compare him to, um, like Clay Thompson coming into the NBA at 21 or 22, however old he was. You're looking at a Keegan Murray in this class. Keegan Murray is 22 years old. Um, these guys, three years on Jabari. I, I think it's a it's a perfect storm of a young player who doesn't know how to be in the NBA, who doesn't know how to be a pro in an organization that's in disarray and disorganized. And um, it's dis- it's being shown in pretty much across the roster. The only players that are actually thriving are the ones that have been almost uh, diminished uh, throughout this process and treated like regular NBA players because they, they are being benched. Their minutes are being taken away despite playing well, and that's KJ and Shangun. And the guys that have been just thrown into the, the limelight despite having earned nothing are the ones that are struggling. You see guys like Tari Eason. I'm at the point where I, I actually said in my last video that, you know, maybe we should let Tari get some starts and let Jabari come off the bench in some games. And I said that on Twitter and people were tripping out. I'm like, if Jabari was on a good team, he wouldn't start. And that's okay. That's normal. I mean, there's 99% of NBA history is not all these teams made up of uh, 19-year-olds. Even back in the day when teams used to tank, you'd be tanking with other other veterans on the roster where you're still just a rookie and you get in when you can, you know? And I think there's this new idea that just because you're a top five pick, you deserve to play 30 minutes a game, all 82 games. And I really don't understand where that's from because that historically that hasn't been the case in the NBA unless you're that good, you're a LeBron James or one of these guys. Rookies come off the bench a lot and they are perfectly fine. So I think uh, if it was a meritocracy, the, the Rockets were running, maybe Tari Eason gets some burn uh, as a starter and let them alternate and duke that out. And if Jabari's ego is bruised from sitting behind his friend because he's not playing well, then he's not made of the right stuff in the first place. So, yeah, I think, but I think overall he'll be fine because I feel like he is made of the right stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I said something similar recently about Tari and Jabari, and I also feel like Jabari, it doesn't mean he can't get 30 minutes a game. You, you just want to get right. him some run, and 30 minutes a game is not impossible. And frankly, I don't think Garuba, and I've said this before, is an NBA player down the road, and I don't think Bruno is a rotation player down the road. So I think you look at those two guys, and you could just take them out of the rotation. Jabari comes off the bench plays a little power forward, plays a little center, still gets 30 minutes a game, you know, and, and you get Shangun and Tari, and, and that's your rotation up front. You know, the Rockets would take it would take a little bit of thought process for him for it. They don't seem to want to do that. But I want to get to Shangun for a second because his defense is poor. Or wait, no, it's not. Is it? We don't know. But I know, Frank, you've explored the numbers. Is this a fallacy? Well, there's a lot of people that make a lot of assumptions just based on his archetype about his defense, um, you know, and where he fits in. And, you know, I, I you know, I kind of wanted to look at that because obviously the thing, the players that he's compared to a lot are the hub players, you know, the Sabonis's of the world and uh, Nikola Jokic. And if you look at it, um, he's pretty much, he's better than some of them in some categories. And, um, he is right in the mix between uh, Jokic and Sabonis in different categories as well. Um, let me, I'm going to pull up the, you know, some of the stuff. I'm not going get, to get too deep into it. Uh, one of the things that I found with Alp that he is a decent um, isolation player. And that's when he's out in space guarding either other bigs or sometimes in space with, um, with 
guards and wings and things like that. He does tend to foul a lot, but if you look at his his points per possession, he's on he's on par in isolation with Jokic. Um, in the post up, Alp is between um, the Jokic and Sabonis in that where he struggles the most is the pick and roll. And and to me, if you look at all his individual defensive uh, measures, he's either average, slightly above average in those measures. Anything that's more team construct based, like a pick and roll defense, it looks ter- terrible for him. And this goes back to my original point of Alperin not being a horrible defender, as everybody wants to say. It's that he's not good enough to be the center on a team with as bad perimeter defenders as the Rockets have. That's the issue. It's not that he's a bad defender. It's that he's not great enough to be the eraser for the trash that we're seeing on the perimeter. So a lot of the issues we see are broken defenses that allow uh, ball handlers from other teams to get free runs to, to the rim, and he is not Dwight Howard. But if you, to me, if you put him on a, on a team with competent level perimeter defense, he would be perfectly fine. He has a higher block rate than both Jokic and Sabonis. He has a, one of, you know, not as his rebound rate, I think, comes in pretty much around the same as Sabonis right now. Um, he's one of, he's league average as a rim protector above a lot of guys that, you know, names that you would think of as elite rim protectors. He's actually able to deter players at the rim. His field goal uh, percentage at the rim is better uh, than, you know, a lot of players. Um, also, his in the mid-range, he's holding players to 35% shooting, which is pretty darn elite uh, for a guy that plays no defense. Yeah, he's 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 an average defender at uh, 20 years old. So if he's average at 20, just like Jabari, I give him all the same. He's in the same team under the same uh, constructs Jabari has. You have poor coaching, lack of structure, you have to figure it out on your own. Plus, you're, he's being undermined <laughs> by who knows in the organization um, at every turn that he gets. He's supposed to start. They don't want him to start. They don't want him to do this. They want him to run lobs. He's you know playing behind players that he's better than. And all through that, he's still putting up all-star numbers. During the stretch, when uh, Kevin Porter was out, he's averaging almost 20, uh, almost 11, and 7 assists. Now, Robert, 20, 11, and 7 as a 20-year-old and an average defender. I mean, I really don't see what we're talking about um, with, the, with the LP thing. I think the Rockets need to lean into that. Right now, he's probably the main bright spot if coming out of this rebuild. The only thing we can say that concretely that, okay, this is something we have that is tangible. Everybody else is just potential right now. And he is actually a real thing that is going on in real time. So I'm curious to see like how they go on moving forward with him. Uh, um, in these next coming games. Unless Rafael Stone and Steven Silas are watching, I think you're just preaching to the choir about Shangoon. Yeah. I feel like every Rocket fan, everybody in the media, everybody nationally, they all seem to get that this guy is pretty good and and uh, he's going to be fine. Um, do you think it's going to be helpful at all for him, Jalen and Jabari, to be in this rookie sophomore game on All-Star Weekend? Is there any benefit for those guys to, to, to do that? Oh, I, yeah. I think they were, I think the, Jalen and Shangun were there last year, right? Yep, Jalen and Shangun were there. Um, I think it's a great benefit. I think when you go to these games, um, what it does is it puts perspective on where you're trying to go because you're going to be around a lot of greatness. And to me, um, even some of the comments from Jalen last year, he said he spoke to a lot of players while he was there and they gave him a lot of confidence. So just even the opportunity to rub elbows with LeBron and 
some of these guys because they're going to be at their games. They're going to be at dunk contests together. Obviously, they're going to talk to some of these guys. They'll see them backstage. You get you pick up little pointers. Maybe you network and uh, make friends with somebody that can, you can call uh, down the line. And I think just being around other great players really motivates you to want to be great. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I like I always say, I play college football. One of the things in high school when I was coming out, we had a a um a bowl game for like you know it's not it's not like the all americans like the i forgot what it was called like space bowl or something it was like a city all-star game and i was there playing with you know other players from around the city and i just remember just feeling like you know this makes me want to be better because i see the people like i consider that i respected and i'm playing with them and you know we're all going to different colleges and i feel like as an athlete when you're in that atmosphere of other great players it just makes you want to elevate your game. And I hope that for Jalen and for Shangun, getting out of Houston and being around other people that are in structured environments and can give them some insight and things like that would be very, very helpful. Um, yeah, and you know, with the NBA, it's a small world. And maybe a vet does sit him down like, hey, you have a lot of talent, uh, Jalen. You got to do it the right way. You know what I mean? I'm watching you from afar. I think you have all this. So even one of those conversations could really alter his perspective on things. And for Shane Goon, I love that Paul Gasol is going to be one of the coaches. Hopefully uh, Team Pal picks him because that's my comfort <laughs> is Paul Gasol so they can uh, start networking with each other as well. But no, I definitely I love th these types of events. I think it, it really helps the players, the young ones especially. Yeah, unfortunately, because the Rockets are where they are right now, this is also a good time to maybe do a little recruiting down the road and make friends and go, Hey, maybe at some point we can play together yeah. over at my place. And Shane Goon is the guy that would be the obvious one because he could go, I'll get you some open shots, man. <laughs> we're not, we're hoping it's not the other way around though. Cause there, there yeah. could be people recruiting. Him. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I see how they're treating you in Houston. Come down and we'll, you know, we'll get you right over here and blah, blah, blah. So I hope it's not one of those deals. Cause yeah. All right, so last thing I want to hit with you is there's just a bunch of smoke about a potential John Collins to the Rockets trade. But after, I don't know, about 87 years of John Collins trade rumors, I don't get <laughs> too hot and bothered about another one. But I, I do want to get your feel on what you think about John Collins. I don't think anything about him. I, I mean, it's th these aren't at this point in our and where we are, this isn't the time to bring in a John Collins because we still don't have a direction. I, right now, the Rockets are still at the point where they need to bring in low low um, commitment contracts that are easily movable, whether because they're expiring or they're actually just good contracts. And I don't feel like John Collins is, is a good contract. I think he makes like 20 some, 25 million. Um, and he has, I think, three more years on his deal and the third year is a player option, which I don't like. Um, one of the things that I saw during that process was the rumor that uh, they tried to make a trade with the Jazz, and Danny Ainge was requesting uh, that youth that um, Atlanta send a pick to, for him to take John Collins, and which to me it's looking like they're viewing John as a salary dump, because that's usually what teams will request if you're gonna they're gonna take bad salary for you, they're gonna request a pick, and then the eco story comes out with um, saying that we would offer picks which is on brand with Houston that we're going to be zagging the wrong way while um, other GMs are trying to leverage Atlanta out of a bad situation. To me, um, I'm looking at his stats right now. I mean, the dude, he's, he's not doing anything special. He's shooting 25% from three this season. 
Um, he's on a team that we want to play like, which is heavy pick and roll with probably one of the best pick and roll guards in NBA. And he's, he's averaging the same amount of points as Jabari. Hold, hold that thought for a second. Cause I, I got to hit some things that I just feel like are just false narratives about John Collins. And I look, I, I'm not going to advocate for a John Collins trade. It, it would depend to me on what you're going to give up for a John Collins trade. And we could talk about that, but number one, he really cares about defense and he's good at it. Despite the old narratives, he's a veteran, but he's still only 25 years old. This is not some, you know, 30 year old that's at the end of it. His shootings way down this season, but he's a good career shooter. And you got to believe being on the trade block for the last 40 years has got to take a toll on this guy and being in that Atlanta situation and playing with Trey young, Trey young does not seem like a pleasure to, to, to play with from all the reports that you're hearing. Uh, he's not the only one that probably doesn't always like playing with Trey. The rumors are about a, a KJ uh, Martin in that deal. And as much as we all love KJ, you know, everybody's like, well, he's, you know, he's KJ's as good as he is. No, he's not as good or better than John Collins right now. Collins does all the things KJ does. And despite this year's struggles, you have to respect his jumper more than KJ. Collins has three inches on KJ, which matters at the defensive end. And I'm not advocating this trade, but Frank, just one final point that matters to me. And you talked about his contract and I, I don't think it's a terrible contract at all because I think this is a really high end, you know, fourth or fifth guy on a championship team, maybe a third guy on a championship, you know, lineup or something like that. But he's definitely a guy you can trust out there. And he's a good salary to have around in case you need a bigger contract to package with your draft picks on that deal that lands you a big fish. And, and you and I have talked about this before. You've got those Brooklyn picks. They're getting worse with every year you hold on to them. And I think, you know, in the next year or less, to me, it would be less. I would do it in the next six months. I think you got to start worrying about trying to make a package. And he is a much better guy to package because his contract is better than Eric Gordon's and he is younger. And there are teams out there that I think would want a John Collins as somebody that just to have around, even if you're, even if you're like throwing everything out the door and you're trying to rebuild, he's somebody that you hang on in another year or two, you can then trade him. So I don't think that contract is that bad at all. And you talked about, you know, he's perfect for the Hawks. No, he's not because they have to run Capella and uh, their other center. I'm blanking on his name for, for a second, but they have to run those two guys on pick and rolls with, with Trey Young. They can't run. John Collins is left there to kind of sit in the court. He's the guy you want to run the pick and rolls with because he can finish around the basket and he can he can sit back and pop if you need him to do that. So, I, no, I, I, I just, you know, the contract and, and you know, the, 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 the compensation are a whole other story. But I just feel like there's a lot of stuff that I just disagree with that are totally false about John Collins that I think people get wrong about. Okay, well, where I'm going to rebut with that is that the contract thing, the length is 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 an issue to me, because um, the player option, all that, what you want at this point, and if you contrast that with other players that are available on the market, um, that you could get the same salary range for that are shorter contracts that aren't or team options. To me, as a team that you're talking about a third or fourth best, we don't have any player. I, I don't want John Collins to be taking up my cap room when I, I still don't know what direction I'm going in as a team. And um, once again, he's he's played, whether good or bad or indifferent, the years he's played with Trey Young, 
Um, aside from the the run they had in the Eastern Conference fine, uh, um, to the Eastern Conference, I don't know if it was semifinals or finals that they went to. Um, I mean, he hasn't really impacted winning in a way that you want. Um, as great as he is, he doesn't really impact winning as much as I'd like to spend that money. I feel like the Rockets would be better off just getting a lesser player or players um, uh, in that salary. They did just go to a conference. I know there was a lot of issues with the conference championship, but you have to give it. They got to a conference championship game. They beat some teams to get there. You know, we can, you know, I've, I've heard you say yeah, before, but- you, you talked about before we, t- we, before we started this show, you were like, well, you can't discount a guy that won a champion. Well, you can't discount always a team that got to the conference championship. And last year, last year he was hurt most of the year. And, and, and he wasn't 100%. He came back despite not being, you know, quite right for that t- team right there. But I, I don't know how closely people really follow John. And, and I don't feel like they know, uh, you know who he is. Okay, let me, ask you, let me ask you this. So what would a player like him, would, what would he need in Houston to be successful? My point is I think you need his contract. And like I said, I think, I think you've got to start thinking about we got to get somebody – to package with those picks if we're going to go out and get some really good players with those picks. You can actually damage a player's value. If John Collins' value right now playing on the Hawks is a certain level, what happens when he comes to Houston and with Coach Silas or Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green as his guards? That is my concern because, once again, it goes back to what I'm saying about direction. It's one thing if we had a team, a real team. With- what, what damage could we do to him in 30 games? I want to deal him and the picks this offseason. To me, then that makes no sense. There'll be Why would we be give up assets to get a player that a team is going to want in the offseason when they could just get him straight? That's I don't want it. And also the cost of what we're getting him for is also problematic. If it was just the Eric Gordon swap with Eric Gordon and like Bruno or something like that, yeah, cool. But all this talk about us actually giving assets. I don't want to give, he's not worth any picks in my opinion. And but my, my point was, I, you got to tell me what the deal is first. I don't believe no picks. what I don't no believe picks. what I don't believe what they're saying as far as what you would have to deal with. I just disagree with that. I think it would be Eric Gordon and, you know, you know, yeah, maybe it's a KJ Martin Boban or, something, or like. something. Yeah, or K, maybe KJ is the young, but I don't. Or maybe it's the if it's the Milwaukee. I don't care about the Milwaukee. Know, it's worthless. No, 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 because you know why that Milwaukee pick, and this is goes back to some of the mistakes that we've made as a franchise with our uh, asset management over the the this since we traded hard, and now we're actually running out of picks. The Milwaukee pick is going to be useful if you want to trade out of the draft. And I don't want to use that on John Collins. I don't think John Collins is, once again, if we're just going to trade him this summer, then why even go through the bother of doing all that? I'd rather just keep KJ and Eric Gordon and just trade them. Um, Because at least Eric Gordon's contract, whether it's bad or good, it's going to end next year. So that's perfect. And KJ's younger. He's 22. So And his contract is even better than John Collins. So to me, it's unnecessary if you don't have a plan going forward for him and you just want to use them as trade bait. Now, if, you know, like, you know, the rumors of James Harden and uh, all this stuff, maybe there's a world where that happens and, okay, you have John Collins on the roster, you make a move here, you make a move there. I just don't trust our front office that they have a plan. And I feel like if they get a player, it's just to make a splash. And um, I just don't, I'd rather go get a Mike Conley or someone that's actually going to be materially help our situation 
um, even if he's here till next deadline. Like he can help. His 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 agent Conley's agent will never let him come here. Do I know? I'm just just theoretically. I'm yeah, just but there's not a lot of theoretical veterans that are, that would want to even come. That, that their agents would let him even get traded. Here. Does That's John Collins want to come to Houston? I mean, that, if we asked him that. I don't. Why would he? He's in the prime of his career. What would make him um, say that he's going to be here unless it's a wink, wink, like we're going to get you out of here? And to me, these are deals you should have made last year and the year before last. And that's one of the issues when you've dilly-dallied and uh, held on to all these players and been passive these past few deadlines is um, now where we actually have to make real big boy moves to position ourselves to take advantage of all this leverage with the Nets pick, with the draft. Um, We're running out of time. So maybe we are the team that does have to give up a pick to get, you know, a John Collins and, those are the type of players that we have to like give up assets to get to come play here and even tell them that, Hey, maybe we'll get you out of here sooner than your contract. It's all of it is kind of all tied in. I just wish we had a direction in a vacuum. Yes. I like John Collins as a player, but in Houston situation, I personally just don't believe that he adds any value to our team because third, fourth best player. I mean, he would literally probably would be the best player on the team as soon as he lands. And if he is the best player on our team, then we're in trouble. I guess where you and I disagree mostly is the value if you're trying to package the Brooklyn picks and and it might not be this summer, but I'm saying within the next year or something, you should, you, that, that should happen. But his value as of a, a trade piece instead of Eric, like Eric Gordon's trade value, we know it. It's like almost zero, almost zero. But John Collins, I'm not saying that the team that's trying to get rid of the asset could use John Collins. But it could be, a, you know, somebody that you use in a, in a third team. And then, you know, th- that third team is a playoff team or maybe could use a John Collins. But I just think he's a and, and I think you're discounting the fact that the CBA is about to skyrocket and his number is not going to look like a major value once yeah, the TV no, deal no, goes that, into effect. And, 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 but his money does matter because he's making I, I want to say he's making a little bit more money than Eric Gordon. And if you're trying to match contracts. You don't have to jam in a bunch of players that you might not want to jam in when you're trying to make that deal for somebody. That's where you and I, I think, totally are. are, are on the- my only issue, honestly, is the length of his contract and the player option. I think that's where I'm like, because teams look at that, and that is a commitment when you trade for a John Collins over an expiring contract. That's my only, because the 25 range, that's for nowadays, that's the new, I mean, hell, maybe in a few years, that'll be the the MLE is going to be like around 20-something million in a couple of years, but that player option and the, the three-year part, because he just got into it like last year, um, I think might scare some people away. That's because you look at him, he is he's a young player and the type of player that you would send out. Honestly, for flexibility purposes, just because of that commitment of that long term, that's why I'm okay with getting an expiring contract, uh, just a guy that's going to expire next year. I mean, I, I perf- like Gordon Hayward, that's a guy that I would love to have. He's an expiring that's going to expire next year. He actually is a player that can add something to the team. He's a good vet that you can bring in, and it's not a long-term commitment, and you could actually swing him maybe back to Utah or somewhere like that that um, would want him because he's not just a – he's a player that people like. So, you know, injury history aside and everything, but it's the long, it's the long term. John Collins, you know, I, I think he's a decent player. I just don't think this is a move we should have made, a type of move we should have made a year or two ago. And then at this point, his contract would have been running out. But, you know, we haven't really made any moves. So here we are. 
Yeah, and, and you said about John Collins not wanting to come here. You know, I, I think he is somebody that's not in a good situation. He's been on the market forever. I think he would just want to be out. And I he might, because look, this is a good, he's a good locker room guy from everything that I've heard. Yep. And yep. he is somebody that might see this as an opportunity to, you know, I can be a veteran in a young locker room. People might actually listen to me. They're not listening to me in Atlanta because I, I hear him talk defense all the time. Well, he's in a he's in a organization that just doesn't seem to want to play defense all that much. So he's coming to the to the uh, the 96 Bulls from uh, the Atlanta. No, but my point my point is that I think if he comes here, I think they might listen to like he's not going to get listened to when Trey Young's in the locker room and some of these other guys are in the locker room, whereas here. There, there might be a little bit more respect, but I also just feel like he's also going to be in a better situation. I disagree with you. I think he's in a better situation. If he comes to Houston, he will get used, I think, better here, even though with all of Silas's criticism, Shane Goon's going to be, he's going to be the hub. I mean, there's no way they can pull the plug on Shane Goon being the hub at this point. And Shane Goon making passes to John Collins will be a thing if he comes here. And I think that is something that could benefit him. And maybe just the change of scenery, he gets his shot back. And and just, you know, getting out of there and getting out of that mess. I mean, again, I, I don't underestimate the fact that this guy is in a place where they don't want him. And they haven't wanted him. And he's been on the block for three years. I mean, I don't, he's probably just like, get me out of here. I'll make, I'll figure out, you know, how to improve my, my, uh, my value somewhere else. Get me out of this place, though. Yeah, he sounds like Eric Gordon. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about that. So one, another thing that he doesn't sound like Eric Gordon because he plays. He's still playing defense from everything that I've heard. He's still <laughs> well, playing like thirty-five. You know, give it cut old Eric some slack. If a twenty-five-year-old Eric probably still play. But one thing I wanted to ask you about for him is the redundancy, also with his positional redundancy, with some of uh, in, in uh, at the forward position that we have because when you do bring in a John Collins that does cut into the Tari Bari um dynamic as far as their play. What what is what do you um say about that? I'm saying it's not a long term thing. And I'm saying by the time those guys get good enough to get the minutes that they deserve, not just handed to them, that probably John Collins is out the door. But you know, to me, I think those guys could really benefit from having a John Collins around and his experience and, and, and that he does a lot of the same things that, for example, you know, KJ Martin does or even Jabari Smith needs to be able to do. I'll give you a world where I would be acceptable to John Collins. And this is in line with what I just said, a world where we actually have a vision of what we're doing for going forward. If they actually brought in real players, other including, you know, a point guard, maybe another center and some vets off the bench with a John Collins. And it would make more sense because then what you would start building is an actual, um, an actual veteran culture around the team. So it's not just like maybe Jabari coming off or splitting minutes with John or whatever they're doing. Maybe Jalen uh, also gets to learn from a vet point guard or a two guard, how to play. Maybe you have a center that's helping some of the guys. And I think collectively, that's why I I'm saying that John Collins in a vacuum I just don't see it. But if we knew that we had a, a overall vision of where we wanted to go as a team and they could present that, then I, yeah, I think he's a good player. I just think in Houston, 
I actually just I think Atlanta is a better situation. Maybe not for him, but basketball wise, it's obviously they have a better team, more veterans there, more functional pieces, a better coach, uh, probably a better front office. So I, I think him coming here to our little uh, spit show here, I just don't see what it does for him because. I mean, Lord knows we're saying all this stuff in, in, in theory. Silas may do like the worst thing for him. Maybe he has him. I don't know what they would even mess John Collins up. But I mean, Frank, if you believe that Silas is here next year as a coach and John Collins isn't playing just 30 more games with Steven Silas, then I'm just going to have to go and uh, jump off a building right now because I'm, I'm not I'm not working under that assumption. I'm just not working under I hope that not. assumption. Let's, let's hope not. And it's sad that we have to say that, but let's hope not. I think. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But we'll see. I, you know, and before we go, I do, uh, obviously, we've seen the D'Amico Ryans uh, uh, thing. I just want to point out to basketball fans that getting the right coach really, like, I'm, I, I love football. I played football. I couldn't watch the Texans for the past few years because just the level of incompetence that they, you know, God bless you, Robert, for breaking down their games. I would probably quit watching sports if I had to break down Houston, uh, Texans, and uh, Rockets uh, right now. Uh, but getting the right guy makes all the difference in the world. And the fact that D'Amico was selected and chose to come here and coach, just look at how he's invigorated. Without even, they haven't played a damn game yet. The whole city is is just is just. You can feel it. Everybody's happy right now because one thing, one word that comes out of Demi- for D'Amico's leadership, every single person that is made a comment about him, they speak about the type of leader he is. That's a guy that can lead men. And I think the Houston Rockets, no shot at Steven Silas, but some guys got it and some guys don't. And I think that if they're watching and seeing the reactions and from the fan base, from the media, from the players, from former players, that's the template for them. You've done what you've done now. They need to go out and get somebody that's going to reinvigorate this franchise, the players and the fan base, so we can be excited about watching Rockets basketball. So that's my soapbox on that. <laughs> no shot at Steven <laughs> Silas. You can take a shot. We, we've taken plenty of shots. Um, yeah, my co-host John and I, were going to talk about the D'Amico Ryan's press conference after uh, the press conference on Thursday afternoon, so you're going to stay tuned for that one and before we take off Frank what's the latest on the Rockets shop shop yep just did a video um just talking about the last game 10 games uh since uh Kevin Porter went down what the team looked like I kind of got some big takeaways from that the Shangun hub is is working well defense took a slump because you got Dacia Nix and the Jacobs getting uh 20 plus minutes a game but um I really wish they would come back and uh KPJ and Jalen would have come back because I want to see the full team on it but uh OKC's coming up um check us out po- post game after that game on the chop shop youtube we'll be doing a post game live really excited to see because shangun usually destroys them so we'll see now that we're leaning leaning in full shen hub how he looks with uh tate and and kj and all these guys playing against the thunder but yeah really uh come check us out in the post game lives and the videos that we drop on the chop shop awesome uh we'll do it and uh want to tell everybody out there if you're listening or watching from turkey we appreciate it we love you out there Take care, Frank. All right. Take care, bro. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.